Welcome to Playmakers Impact Unleashed, your all access pass to the game changers of today and the history makers of tomorrow. I'm your host, Paul Epstein, sports industry veteran, author and speaker, founder of Purpose Labs, and your guide through an inspiring journey of courage, comeback, and transformation. Let's take a no BS look beyond the trophy cabinet to unleash every guest's impact and how they've achieved both success and significance so we can apply those same purpose-driven principles in our own lives and careers. As playmakers, let's get ready to lock arms and take action so we can all level up and make a play together. On today's show, we're welcoming in Rich Divini, retired Navy SEAL officer, thought leader, and author of The Attributes. Our conversation is going to span across the origin story of how and why he became a SEAL. What does it truly take to break into the SEALs? And then we'll deep dive on how we should tackle the fork in the road of performance. Is it peak performance that we're after, or is it optimal performance? Rich's perspective may actually surprise you. Can't wait to share that piece. And he's also going to unveil the key insights and hidden gems of his newly released book, The Attributes. He'll talk to us about what's the difference between an attribute and a skill, and specifically, how can we apply it in the current environment of emerging from the pandemic so that we can all level up and forge forward in 2021 and beyond. He's even going to unpack the four core elements of grit, as that was not only critical to survive in the SEALs, it's a non-negotiable to thrive in life. Trust me, this is a conversation you won't want to miss. Big thanks to Audible.com for being a sponsor of today's show. As playmakers, we're all about leveling up and lifelong learning. So what could be better than a free audiobook and 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com? With over 200,000 titles to choose from, there is no limit to what you can explore. Perhaps... And these are just a few of my personal favorites. You want to check out The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Consider this chicken soup for the soul of personal growth. Or maybe you dive into Grit by Angela Duckworth, where she unpacks the power of what happens when passion meets perseverance. Again, to download your free audiobook today, go to Audible. Playmakerspod.com. It's about that time to welcome in Rich Divini. Rich is a retired Navy SEAL commander, turned thought leader, now author of his newly released book, The Attributes. In a career spanning over 20 years, he completed more than a dozen overseas deployments, including leading a specialized command to create the first ever mind gym which helps special operators train their brains to perform faster, longer, and better across environments, especially ones of high stress. With that backdrop, Rich and I are about to explore how in these times of stress, attributes are the difference maker to ultimately understand our own engines. Let's buckle up and enjoy the ride. Rich, welcome to Playmakers. How we doing? Good, Paul. Great to be here with you, as usual. Absolutely, man. And uh, just to bring all our Playmakers in, we know the background, we know the juice, we know everything about you, man. So we're, uh, we're fired up to get to know who you are, where you've been, what you've done. Let's kick it off with an origin story, because the world thinks of you first. And now, author, the attributes, we're certainly going to be diving deep into that. But before that, you spent a few decades in a place called the Navy SEALs. So I'd love to know 
the origin story of what even inspired that? Like, was it a childhood moment, a childhood memory? Like, why the seals? And give us the piece of that front end of the journey. Yeah, it, it, you know, I never even knew what the seals were, to be honest with you. When I was growing up, I uh, my my dad was a private pilot, and so uh, so he'd take my brothers and my sister and I flying on the weekends, which we loved. My twin brother and I were sold from the from day one. So by the age of seven or so, we wanted to be navy pilots, and of course we wanted to be jet pilots. But when we looked at the when we looked at the um, the military, it was air force or navy, and the navy guys landed their planes on ships. So we're like, okay, well that's that's pretty badass. So let's that you know how yeah that, let's do that one. And so we're so chasing we both, badass. Got it. Yeah, so uh, so so we that's what we did. I mean, we 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 had pictures of aircraft all over our walls, plastered. Our whole plan was to you know you know join the navy. You know, go to you had to go to uh, officer candidate school or become an officer to fly. So so whatever that entailed, go to college and do that. Um, and it was right around the, after the first Gulf War in in the in ninety one or so. And I, uh, there was a Newsweek article that came out, and it, it was called, the title was just a, clam, a guy with a camouflage face, and it said Secret Warriors. And the, and the article was like um, eight pages of description of all the different spec ops units in the military. So you had the Air Force, PJs and CCTs, you had the Green Berets, the Rangers, the SEALs, you know, um, uh, Marine Force Recon. And, um, and what I, you know, and I, lo- I, the, I was entranced by this article. And it had a series of pictures, you know, sp- you know, kind of scattered amongst the eight eight pages. So, and I would say roughly twenty pictures or so of guys in different environments. So you had a guy in the snow, in like in like snow gear, and then you had a guy in the jungle, and then a guy underwater, and a guy, um, you know, in parachute gear. And what I noticed about it was like, you know, out of the twenty pictures, like fifteen or more were of seals, and they were all in these different environments. And I was like, man, these seals do everything. They do everything that they're they're in every environment. They're everywhere. And I was like, man, that is that is pretty cool. And so it, I began thinking about it. I began really absorbing, you know, as much as I could on you know reading about the seals, what they were, who they you know their origins. And then you know, meanwhile, I went to um, you know Purdue uh, NROTC uh, and. Um, got a scholarship, and as I approached uh, my senior year, and you have to select your your designator, which is am I going to be a pilot, a sub guy, a ship guy, or a seal or EOD? And I kind of I thought about it. And I said, you know, I knew I know I can be a, a pilot, you know, but I don't I don't ever want to look out from my cockpit at a bunch of Navy SEALs and wonder if I could do that. So let me try for that. And so uh, so I applied, and um, and I got selected, which was great, and I got to. Got a chance to go to SEAL training, and you know that was in '96. And um, subsequently, you know, the next 20 plus years were very kinetic, as we all know. <laughs> um, and and really, all of us who went through it, um, and you know, I, the guys I still talk to, uh, especially the guys who are retired, we we meet once in a while, and and we all feel very fortunate to have been SEALs during that time frame because we actually were able to live a time where we actually got to really do the work um, because because sometimes you don't get to do that if there's nothing going on. And again, I don't say this in any way to glamorize war. War is war is bad and, and should be very carefully thought through before we engage it. But, you know, as a guy who um, and as a bunch of guys who joined up to do a, a service to the to the nation and, and kind of do the job we wanted to do, we got the chance to, which was which was very unique. Yeah, no. So I love where you're bringing us and and certainly want to talk more about those mid to latter chapters of this multi-decade journey. But if you could talk about the competition, the, uh, if you will, there's probably millions, and I may be understating it, folks have, have said in their life at some stage, I want to be a SEAL, or they have that aspiration. So the numbers are probably astronomical, but then I know that it is only the few that get in. So talk to us about the competitive process to get in, some of that attrition. I've heard some of your stories of what does it truly take to get into the SEALs? Yeah, wow, that's a, that's a huge question. Um, however, I would say this, and this is a surprise to a lot of people, competitiveness is not necessarily it. Um, because what I, one of the things I realized, and, I, and I, write a, I write a little bit about competitiveness as an attribute, and I talk about this, but one of the things I realized is that I am not a competitive person at all. I never have been. 
Um, I played lacrosse in high school and um, and I loved the game because I loved the intricacy of the game, the stick work, the teamwork, all that stuff. I was never really emotionally moved whether or not, you know, whether we won or lost. It didn't really affect me. I was like, okay, whatever. Um, and I thought that was gonna be a detriment when I got to SEAL training. Um, but what I in fact discovered was that the, the, the environment um, favors neither the competitive person nor the non-competitive person. Um, and you can tell uh, by the two awards that are given at the end of SEAL training. At the end of SEAL training, there are two awards given. One is called the Honor Man. Uh, the Honor Man Award is, the, is, is awarded to the, the student that has the best overall scores in all of the evolutions, like running the four, you know, four miles, uh, the obstacle course, the, the, the two-mile swims. Um, and, and that is uh, a competitive, and it's, and it's basically your score. So that is a competitive reward, right? You know, the, the person who has the best scores. Um, the other award that's given um, is called the Fire in the Gut Award. The Fire in the Gut Award is given to the person who showed the most perseverance, grit, overall grit, all that stuff. Just, just really just kind of gutted it out and, and showed the most heart, you know. Oftentimes that person is the person with the lowest scores. <laughs> You know, um, and that's that that's decided upon by the instructors, by the by a vote from the students. It's all you can't you can't win that. You have to earn it. And um, and so what that told me was that the the environment and the teams don't they 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 favor both. You know, or they, or you could say they favor neither. You could also say they favor both. Um, and so when it comes to and this is one of the things I loved about the SEAL training process is that is that it didn't. It's one of the purest processes in the world because it didn't matter where you came from. It didn't matter um, what sport you played, if you even played a sport. It didn't matter whether you're the the the, the all American or the kid who grew up on the farm throwing bayhells. It didn't matter if you were the you know the valedictorian of your class or or otherwise. Um, um, it took it took us all down to zero or even below zero and basically asked the question: Do you have what it takes? Um, and so, and so when it comes to becoming a SEAL, there's actually a couple phases. I obviously just talked about one phase, which is you get to basic underwater demolition, BUDS, slash SEAL training. That's, that's what people think of as kind of the phase. And oftentimes people are like, well, I wonder if I could make it through BUDS. And, and sure, that's a question. The odds are you can't <laughs> based on, based on selection, you know, uh, percentages, um, or attrition percentages. However, uh, what people fail to realize is that, um, we always kind of joked that um, a lot of the deselection happens before you ever get there, because a lot of the grit, a lot of the, a lot of the grit and the process of getting there, takes work. It takes it takes effort. It takes diligence. It takes it takes commitment, right? Um, and so there's a lot of people who um, would say, you know, I feel, yeah, I, I want to be a Navy SEAL, but you know, but somewhere in the process they got distracted, or they said oh, I lost focus, or they just said, hey, I'm I'm uninterested at this point, right? That's a deselection, right? Um, you know, so so there's a there's a um, depending on whether or not you're officer enlisted, there's a there's a diligence, there's a commitment, there's a focus that has to go on to even get to the beaches of Coronado and start buds in the first place, and then only then does the actual process begin, right? Um, and even then, you get what eighty five percent attrition. So uh, so there was a point during the war where we were trying to beef up the numbers in the teams and the the um, uh, the process to get to buds in the first place um, wasn't it was it was it was I won't say it's easier but it, they, we were letting more you know we were naturally letting more guys into the system right got so, it it expanded uh, a bit got it it expanded a bit so um, uh, so in those cases you know if you could if you had what if you had, if you physically checked out if you could pass the, the PT test all that stuff and you know um, and you seemed like a good candidate you got to you got a chance to go um, so. So yeah, there's a there's a there's a you know there's a grit there's a drive factor in just getting to buds in the first place, and I think that has to be accounted for. Yeah, and so you mentioned the two awards, and what I want to bring us back to, and I want to make sure I heard it correctly. You said fire in the gut, correct? Right. Fire in the right. gut award, and you said the two words of several, but perseverance and grit are some of those characteristics that the person that won the fire and the grit award, how do you measure something like that? Like when I think about perseverance and grit, which are phenomenal qualities to have as a human being, nevertheless, what you do for a living, just your core character, how in the SEALs capacity did you measure something like that? Well, um, through, through, through experience um, and through environment, right? And so I, I you know, I'm probably... 
I, I probably confuse it a little bit. When I talk about, I probably should have said grit because because I talk about grit in the book in terms of grit is not just one thing. Grit is a combination of several things that catalyze and bake and kind of come together to to form grit, which is this ability to to, to kind of push through, to get to, to gut it out, to to grind it out. Um, perseverance is one of those things. So the book I talk about courage, perseverance, adaptability, and um, and resilience are the four elemental attributes that make up grit. So hit us with those one more time, Rich. The the four elements that bubble up into grit as a whole. Yeah, the four grit attributes that I talk about are courage, adaptability, perseverance, and resilience. Those four. Um, and now, and and you you need and any guy who gets to SEAL training and want, and makes it through has probably a, pre a predominance of most of those, right? Um, and so the environment teases that out. The environment tests to see if you have that. Um, there's no, as of yet, there's no, uh, I don't think there's any way to, to numerically measure this stuff. I mean, I, we'll talk about the assessment I offer on the website later, um, but that's- Which that's by the way, I took and I'm extremely surprised at my results. So that may be an offline conversation, <laughs> but continue. Right. Well, <laughs> well and, and again, that's an assessment tool that someone that you're taking, right? So, and what we did there just to get, just to lay it on the table is that we, we pushed out date, we pushed out questions to a thousand people across the, across the globe and got back data. So, so your results are, are not necessarily a spot on assessment of your levels of each. Your, your results are how you compare to a thousand other people, right? Which, which, is a, which, which is different, right? And, and, so, and so people, and I keep on kind of caveating that with people who take the assessment, hey, this is just a snapshot. It's a, it's a place to hopefully start but there's a, some self-assessment, self-reflection that has to go on in there. So, um, but uh, the, the the best and the most um, the most effective ways to measure attributes are environments and experiences of challenge, uncertainty, and stress, of which SEAL training is perfect, right? Because <laughs> that's all it is. No, absolutely. And we're going to come back to not only attributes and grit, but also I know you are massive on putting yourself in uncomfortable situations as a measure of, that's really the origin of attributes. And, and I want to get to attributes versus skills. But before we do that and just clinging on to SEALs for one more piece, and then we're going to shift to attributes. When you think of SEALs, we often hear of the term, and it's a bit cliche, but you think of peak performance. And mm -hmm. you and I, both online and offline, we've had multiple conversations in our relationship and in our past about the uniqueness and the difference between optimal performance, which is what your book is all about, what you are all about versus peak performance. So to bring our Playmaker audience in, because we're all about leveling up, we're all about maximizing our potential. So if we think about that and we say, I strive for peak performance, but you as Rich might challenge that notion and say, mm, maybe you wanna rethink that. Maybe it's optimal performance. Talk us through the difference of peak versus optimal and how we can all apply what you consider the winning strategy and tactics into our lives. Yeah, absolutely. And and so again, and it's funny because you and I have had these conversations. Um, it's a it's an epiphany I came to a, a little bit while I was still in the Navy, but mostly when I got out of the Navy and people, and I was talking about high performing teams and, and, and people were starting to ask me a lot of questions about peak performance. And the assumption, the going in assumption in terms of and why they were asking me was that SEALs are some of the ultimate peak performers. Um, and so what we have to understand is what peak performance actually is. And I, and I would say what peak performance is as defined by most of us, okay, and most of what goes on in, in at least society, you know, that we experience. And that is um, peak is an apex, right? It's the best, it's the be very best, it's the top, it's the, it's the epitome, right? Um, and, and the apex is, is you can only come down from an apex, right? So, so there's nothing wrong with peak, okay? Because if you, can, if you can achieve peak, that's great. But most of the time, I would offer almost all the time, um, peak has to be planned for, it has to be scheduled, it has to be mapped out, right? So the professional football player um, spends his entire week uh, you know, planning and preparing and, and doing things that, that week so that he may peak for three hours on Sunday, right? That's what happens, right? Um, you could do the same thing in, yeah, you could do the same thing in business. You, uh, I mean, you and I might, you know, when we're teaching together, we might get, get, you know, we prepare ourselves so that for the two days we're teaching, we're kind of peaking. Um, if it, if you can, in fact, peak for two days, which is tough. But um, 
but that's what it is, and it has to be scheduled. You know, so so I would say oftentimes that I didn't think SEALs were peak performers as much as they were optimal performers. Optimal performance is something different. Optimal performance is um, the ability to do the very best you can in the moment with whatever you got and whatever the best is defined as in that moment, right? So sometimes the best in that moment might be peak. It might be flow states and everything's clicking and going and, and feels great. But sometimes the very best you can do is just gutting it out. It's like taking step by step, grinding it. You know, I, I, I would often think about myself in SEAL training when we were freezing in the surf zone for what seemed like hours. You know, there was nothing peak about our performance during that time. We were doing the very best we could. And the best we could at the moment was just not to quit. Just keep it going. It was survival. Don't quit, right? At that point, it was survival, survival and advancing yeah. through Hell Week or whatever that's the right. case may be. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's right. And so, and and so, and and there are a lot of guys who couldn't do it. Right, they quit at that point. But but for those of us who didn't quit, we weren't. We would never have defined ourselves as peak. You know, the same thing happens in combat, right? You know, no, it's very difficult to be at peak performance in combat. I mean, you're just doing the best you can because combat goes in waves, just like any other uh, thing in life. Sometimes it's going great, and sometimes it's going quite bad, right? So, um, but th again, this is life. Uh, you know, the, I, I believe that life is about performing optimally, which means modulation and understanding in one's environment. Okay, um, where I sit right now in this moment, do I even need to peak? Uh, no, I'm, I'm driving to the grocery store. I don't need to peak. I can actually be, <laughs> I could be, you know, I could be pretty level or moderate or I can actually could relax a little bit, right? Um, maybe my attention needs to be peak and <laughs> not on my phone, <laughs> but, um, but but this is a modulation that I think is both responsible and um, and uh, and also um, uh, doable, right? It's it's achievable because it allows us as human beings to uh, be okay with modulation. But it doesn't take away our ability to peak when we want to peak or need to peak um, because we can do and should do that as well. Right. So from your lens, optimal is the lane that we should largely be in. But within that optimal zone, there will be moments or micro chapters, if you will, of peak. And so in, in, in this case, like you gave a great athlete example and myself, NFL, NBA. So NFL is probably the best example because it's once a week. And so you think of there's that three to four hour window. They need peak. But you almost, and, and I've seen this with a lot of performers, if you will, even if you think of folks that are in the arts or, or theatric world, and they say, the, the saying you'll always hear is, you don't want to peak too early. And I think that's interesting because what they're saying is like, hey, it's kind of that consistency of being in that optimal flow in that zone, but then you're going to have to ratchet it up when the performance truly matters. So that that's what I'm gathering. And I think that's an awesome lesson for all of us to apply. So let me ask you this, Rich, uh, the book, The Attributes, I know a lot of it has stemmed from your multiple decades within the SEALs and um, getting up to the officer ranks, but talk to us about the original inspiration of what inspired the book. Why write the attributes and embedded in that, if you could talk to us, because not everybody listening in, and I'll include myself, I didn't know that there was a massive difference between attributes and skills. I kind of thought they were all one and the same. So A, what inspired the book? And then B, walk us through attributes versus skills. Love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I need to back, I need to back the clock up and, and talk about what inspired the idea first, because the book, the book, the inspiration for the book came later, right? And it came after I was out of the Navy. But while I was in the Navy, I was running training for one of our specialized SEAL commands. And this command in particular, we took experienced SEALs and brought them to our command and we put them through our own six to nine months. It was actually a nine month selection and assessment process. Um, and in that process, we would lose about 50%. So in other words, you're talking about very experienced guys, handpicked from all the SEAL teams coming to this command, coming to our assessment and selection, and only 50% of those guys make it through, right? Um, and at the, when I took over this training, so I was running this training. Obviously, I went through the training first, but then, then you know, once I got senior enough, I was running this training. And even um, even when I was running it, what we were realizing was we had no real good explanation as to why guys were failing. You know, other than things like, well, uh, the guy couldn't shoot and move very well in this environment or couldn't do this in this environment. But all of those explanations seem to focus on skills. 
Um, and I'll get into the difference here in a second, but there were skills like shooting or or skydiving or things like that, that they'd already, these guys had already done in the regular SEAL teams, right? So, so to, to kind of use that as a, as an excuse was, was ineffective and it was somewhat, it was definitely demoralizing for the, for the candidate because we weren't giving effective explanations to the candidate. It was not effective for the senior leadership was saying, Hey, tell us why. And certainly wasn't effective for us because we wanted to know more about that. So, so in that process, I needed to um, really figure out what was going on. And I had to kind of go back to our origins. I'll just tell you in, in BUDS, again, the, the BUDS is the basic uh, SEAL training course, right? Where a sailor goes through this. And then at the end, you're, you're, you're a Navy SEAL. Um, you spend hundreds of hours running with heavy boats on your heads. You, ha- you spend hundreds of hours running and exercising with 300 pound telephone poles on your shoulders. Um, and you spend you know hours upon hours in the freezing surf zone, right? Um, and I will tell you, through my 20 year career, and I, th- I started thinking about this when I was doing, you know, when I was kind of wrestling this problem. I have done hundreds of combat missions. You know, I have done thousands of training evolutions. Never on any one of those did I carry a boat on my head or run with a 300 pound telephone pole on my shoulder. Never on any one, right? So, so what did that tell me? That told me that the, the when they were when they were doing those things to us in SEAL training, they weren't training us to be Navy SEALs. What they were doing, they were they were they were making us do things to tease out innate qualities to see if we could do the job. So there's a difference between you know how to do the job or can do the job. They weren't training us on how to do the job. They were seeing if we could do the job. And could and how is the difference between skills and attributes. Um, because the could is talking about the environment of uncertainty and dynamic um, complexity and things like that. So fast forward to um, when I was running uh, this specific selection process, I began to say, hey, we need to think about attributes as separate from skills, okay? Because they get conflated all the time. So that's kind of is a good segue into what the difference is. Skills are not inherent to our nature, okay? None of us are born with the ability to ride a bike or throw a ball or in the SEAL case, shoot a gun. We are we we learn how to do those things and we train to do them. We can be we can sit down and be taught those things in a classroom. Someone can teach us how to do those things, right? Um, they direct our behavior in known environments, right? Here's how and when to ride a bike. Here's how and when to drive a car. Here's how and when to shoot a gun. Um, and then, as such, because they're kind of visible and you can break them into parts pretty easily, um, uh, they're very easy to assess, measure. And test, right? You can see how well anyone does any one of these things. Um, and this is exactly why the statistics game is so predominant in the sports industry. I mean, you can take stats and, and, and you can measure almost everything because sports is predominantly skill. Um, and I, we can talk about nuances there because there are. But um, the problem with skills is that they don't tell us how people are going to operate um, when things go south, when things go sideways, in challenge, stress, and uncertainty, okay? Um, because in, in an unknown, challenging environment, um, you can't, or it's very difficult to apply a known skill, okay? So we begin to lean on our attributes. Attributes, on the other hand, are inherent to our nature. All of us are born with levels of adaptability, resilience, um, situational awareness, discipline, okay? All of us are born with levels. You can see these things in small children, okay? Now, certainly they develop over time through uh, environment and experience and things like that, but but they are already inside of us. They also inform our behavior rather than direct it, okay? They tell us how we're going to show up to a situation. So um, so the levels that my, the levels of, of adaptability and perseverance and resilience that my son has informed how he showed up when he began to learn how to ride a bike and he was falling off a dozen times, okay? Um, so they inform our behavior. And then because they're hidden, they're running in the background, they're hard to see, um, they're very difficult to assess, measure, and test, okay? Um, they are the most visible when you are in environments of challenge, uncertainty, and stress um, because uh, that's where they come to the fore. And that's why the SEAL training, whether it be basic or the stuff I was running, was such great laboratories inside of which we could see this stuff because it was all about throwing guys into challenge, uncertainty, and stress. Um, so so the, the key about attributes is attributes drive our behavior at a very elemental level, um, even in, 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 any, in any situation, okay, but especially in challenge, uncertainty, and, and, uh, and stress, because that's when skills begin to not necessarily apply. Um, and so that's the difference. And so that's what I began to do at the command. 
and we began to kind of say, okay, what are the attributes we're looking for? And we, it was not about changing the training. It was about shifting what we were looking at. It's almost like putting on a, instead of skills glasses, we put on attributes glasses. And so we could start, because by the way, you can always train a skill, you know, I say always, most of the time, you can, as long as there are certain competencies, right? Yeah, there's a but correlation. I, I invest this many hours in skill development, and right. it, technically, I should get better over time, That's right. right? That's it, right. I can, if, I, if, if, someone, if someone I'm looking to hire, bring aboard, or even select for a SEAL team has the attributes that I'm looking for, um, I can always train them how to shoot. Okay, better. I can always train them how to skydive better. I could, Paul, you and I could go out to a range tomorrow. I could train how to, I could, in three hours, I could teach you how to shoot and hit a bullseye every time. Okay, that's a skill. What I can't necessarily train you to do is run into a building and with other people pointing their guns at you, train you to immediately assess the threat, address the threat, and do so in a rapid way, right? That's not, that's, that those, you start, you begin to lean on attributes. Um, T- just take a full, full uh, to a, take a sports example because I want to make sure we're not we're not um, <laughs> uh, stomping on athletes, okay? Because athletes, you know, Tom Brady or Drew Brees, okay, these guys are obviously extraordinarily skilled, okay. But there are people out there who can throw a ball just as well as Tom Brady can throw a ball, or just as well as Drew Brees can throw a ball. What they can't do, like Drew Bra- uh, Drew Brees and Tom Brady, is is take a snap while you know three hundred pound linemen are running at them, uh, observe the situation, and pick based on what they need to pick, who they're going to throw it to. They, they, that takes attributes, okay? So, so it all adds up to attributes and skills working together. As we take a quick break from today's interview, a reminder of gratitude for our sponsor, Audible, who is offering each and every playmaker a free audiobook and 30-day free trial when you visit audible.playmakerspod.com. If there's one thing I've seen in most successful people that I've come across, there are a few consistent habits, none greater than the daily practice of leveling up through the power of reading. Some of us like to crack a book open, while others prefer to listen in to our favorite authors narrate their written work of art. What could be better than a platform like Audible to make this habit a reality? To download your free audiobook today, Go to audible.playmakerspod.com. It's time to level up. Yeah. So, and I love what you're saying too. So you mentioned Breeze and Brady. I'll throw a third name in the hat and I'll then kick it back to you to get your thoughts on this because Peyton Manning was somebody that always said that because a lot of folks may, or some may not know this, he, I think he led the league in interceptions his rookie year. And then they asked him, and he had a a much better second season, which is very common in the quarterback position, especially in the rare cases where you're good enough to start as a rookie. You see market improvement for the second year. And they asked him why. And he said, the game slowed down. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting to think about that. He's the same dude, probably similar talent. Maybe he leveled up a little bit, but he was already world-class but when he said that the game slowed down, so in your case, you might describe that as awareness of environment or what have you, but that's how he leveled up. It was just getting the reps in and perhaps in your case, he was exercising his attributes and that those were kind of kind of kicking in, but I just love to see how maybe attributes do fire up those channels in that Peyton example. They do. And so there's a couple of things going on there, I think. And this is also a difference between um, athletes, at least in certain sports, and say spec ops folks, um, and, and maybe even life, is that, is that we have to account for the fact that, um, and let's just take football as an example, okay? Um, football, basketball too, but football is a known environment, okay? Um, and, and that environment, it, it pretty much, you, it, it has rules, it has boundaries, it has, it has timing, right? You know exactly. So, so, so we know everything about the football environment. Um, and everything inside that 50 by 100 yard box, right, is, is repeatable, okay? And so, so this is the advantage the athlete has that the SEAL doesn't have, is that, is that the athlete, like Peyton Manning, can be in that environment and begin to inoculate themselves effectively so that they 
start to see everything there is to see and the game slows down, okay? Because, because everything is the same in that environment. And I say that it's certainly nuances there, but, but listen, no one's gonna, you know, no one's gonna run, you know, skydive into the field, take the ball and score a touchdown and that'll actually count. It's against the rules. Rules and boundaries and, and restrictions contain it into this known thing. Um, and so what, what was happening with Peyton is he was exercising, of course, his attributes and skills in a way that allowed him to start understanding the environment more and faster. And so he began to see re repeats of things. You know, things start to slow down because we're, we're, we're starting to recognize, our hippocampus is recognizing things faster. Oh, I've seen that before, I know exactly what it is, right? That's when things start to slow down. Um, this doesn't necessarily happen for spec ops guys. Spec ops guys, and I would say military in general, if they're, if they're combat folks, um, they, we are kind of trained to be masters of uncertainty. We, there is no 50 by 100 yard box inside of which we can master our craft, right? Um, there are some basics we have to master, basic skills, shoot, move, communicate. Um, and then from there, we have to be fully prepared to have what it takes to first and rapidly understand the environment and then perform, okay? It's almost like, it's almost like we're gonna get dropped into, like one night we're dropped into a football field. Okay, we have to really rapidly understand what's going on in this football field and now play, right? Okay, the next night we're gonna get dropped into a tennis court. Okay, now we have to really rapidly understand this tennis court and, just, and now play, right? That's, and, and, but I would offer, I would offer that's what life is like mostly. I mean, we're, we're all of us get hit with things that we don't understand. I mean, look at COVID, for example. Look at 2020, for God's sakes. You know, I mean, all of us, you know, athlete or not, we were all thrown into, um, uh, deep un challenge, uncertainty, and stress. All of us. We didn't know what the heck was going on, and we had to figure it out, right? So, so I, you know, I, I still maintain all of us got a uh, got a crash course in our attributes in 2020. Yeah, and and you said a few moments back, challenge, uncertainty, and stress. That's when attributes can truly shine. Essentially, I'm going to know who you are when we don't have a playbook. So, 2020. Let's go there and let's bring our audience in, right? Every playmaker listening in. Hey, 2020 was a beast. It was a challenge. Uh, yes, some of us have reinvented and pivoted and we're, we have aspirations of coming out bigger, faster, stronger, but 2020 wasn't easy for anybody. It definitely leveled the playing field in many ways. So to bring our audience in, what if any of the attributes, as you, I know you bucketed out in a high level um, and there's five core areas. Is there one of those five areas? Maybe it's grid or maybe it's leadership, just as a few that kind of come to mind, but I'll kick it to you and say, or ask, which of the five areas can be most helpful to our community and all playmakers as we emerge from 2020, we try to tactically say, what should I be doing understanding the environment that 2020 has created? Now, how do I charge forward? So maybe give us some of those attributes and then tactically, what do we do to level up from here? It's a great question. It's a big question. Um, the uh, the the very first thing we have to do uh, is we have to understand our own engines, okay? Because we all come to the game with a different set. Um, now I say, you know, so so okay. We all have all of the attributes, and there are more than 25. I talk about 25 in the book because I think they kind of related most to optimal performance, but there are more than 25. You ran right? out we of pages, have... Rich, what's up? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you, you know the book writing process. There's, there's editing involved, right? Um, and so, uh, so we all have all of them. The difference in each one of us is the, the, the degree to which we have each one, right? So, um, so if you kind of think of a, of a row of dimmer switches lined up, okay, and each dimmer switch is an attribute, every attribute set to a different level, okay? And so every one of our like unique um, uh, you know, lines, you know, um, is going to be different based on, so you, so you're, for example, you may be level out of, if, if, if 10 were high and one were low, you may be level eight on adaptability. Okay. And I might be level four. Now what that means, there's no judgment there. Okay. Because it'd be like judging our hair color. Okay. What that means is that when it comes to the environment changing around you, without you having any control, you much more easily kind of say, okay, I'm going with flow, I'm good with it. Whereas if I'm a level four, it's more difficult for me to do that, okay? So we all have all of the attributes. Um, understanding our engines though, is really critical in understanding if we're in the right lane in the first place. Because again, if we take the human factor and, and compare it to automobiles, all of us are automobiles, okay? All of us are humans, all of us are automobiles. Some of us are Jeeps, and some of us are Ferraris, and some of us are SUVs, right? Now, again, 
no judgment on that because the Jeep can do things the Ferrari can't do and the Ferrari can do things the Jeep can't do, okay? However, if you are a Jeep and you don't know it and you're trying to run in the race in the Ferrari track, you're going to have issues, right? Game over. If you're a yeah. Ferrari and you don't know it and you're trying to race on the Jeep track, you're going to have issues. So, so the first thing is to understand, you know, lift the hood and understand where you fall on all of these attributes, okay? One of the things people can do to, to do that, right, besides read the book, of course, is to look back at 2020 and say, okay, when all of this hit, what, you know, what were those things, you know, what were those things that were difficult for me? And what were those things that were fairly easy? So, so adaptability is an attribute that, that all of us had to experience right. <laughs> during 2020, right? Um, for some of us, adapting was fairly easy and smooth, right? We just like, okay, well, okay, what, let's go with the flow. For others, it's like, oh my God, this is tough, right? That might indicate that you're a little bit lower on adaptability. Uh, for others, it might've been self-efficacy. For others, it might've been um, uh, task switching, which is the ability to kind of effectively move in between. Again, we're all, we're all used to, before, before we get into quarantine, we're all used to going to work and, in, and inside that context, we have a series of tasks, right, that we do pretty seamlessly. Then we go home and then we go, there's a whole other set of tasks within that context. Well, suddenly those worlds were emerged, okay? And we found ourselves task switching and hopping contexts more than ever before. I know I was, you know, quarantined, right? And I was sitting here, I was trying to write this book and I'm, you know, doing writing, I'm talking to my editor and suddenly I have to hop to helping my son with advanced algebra. And then I have to hop to walking the dog and I have to hop to making lunch or whatever. So, so task switching was one of those things that was exercised. So, uh, so I would say, understand the attributes, understand where you fall. And then as you look forward, say, okay, how can I actually look at these numbers, look at these, these things about myself and then effectively move forward uh, in a way that's, um, that's positive and empowering for me. Yeah, no, this is great. And so just as a recap for every playmaker listening in, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's about knowing your engine. And I loved your car right. analogy. Some of us are Jeeps, others are Ferraris, which can both be badass cars. However, they've got a very unique purpose, right? One is right. kind of to trudge through the mud and the other is to, you know, have a speed that's starting in the twos, right? Like right, it's, right, right. there's a very unique element of each car. And so if we could assess our own parts and understand who we are, understand our attributes, like you said, it's a dimmer switch. For some things, I'm going to be an eight. For others, I'm going to be a four. And you could be vice versa, which means we all have the attribute just at different levels. And so the first step is with self-awareness. And then mm -hmm. it's about putting together a tactical plan on how we can implement some of those learnings about ourselves. And maybe that's a good place to take you is knowing how you're wired. I'm, I'm assuming you've taken your assessment about a bajillion times. And so you, <laughs> you damn well better know your scores. But uh, if you could share with us maybe one way that you have applied your attributes in the current environment as we're emerging from 2020 and we're forging forward like what what's one tactical or tangible thing that you've leveled up that maybe we could learn from yeah well uh so so first uh, we have to kind of make sure people understand that um so because of free will we can do whatever we want we can we can we can race on whatever track we want which means if if, if it feels like we might not have a lot of the attributes that are required in the direction we want to go you can actually develop attributes okay you just can't do it the same way as a skill okay so you can't i can't teach so so good back of the envelope test uh to to see if it's an attribute or a skill because they could get conflated all the time um is to ask can it be taught or can you teach it right so in other words, um, in other words, uh, if you, if Paul, if you feel like you're an impatient person and you want to work, you want to become more patient, um, you can't come to me and say, hey, Rich, can you teach me how to be patient? Can you teach me a class on patience? Okay, it doesn't work that way. Um, same with adaptability, same with any one of the attributes, okay? Um, attributes must be self-motivated, self-directed, and then it, it takes a willingness for someone to throw themselves into discomfort, uh, sometimes uncertainty, sometimes stress, um, so they, they, they may exercise that attribute. So if you wanted to effectively develop your patience, you need to deliberately throw, yourselves into, throw yourself into environments that test your patience, right? So you may develop it, okay? Um, so that's the tool, you know, in terms of, so, so first of all, don't think that you're damned if you, um, if you are low on an attribute that, that, that is required in what you love to do or want to do. You can develop that. Just know it takes yourself and your self-direction and your, 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 um, um, your own, you know, motivation to do that. Uh, 
And and so the so once you have that, you can say then then the sky's the limit. To be honest with you, because because you can you can basically say okay, what do I want to do? Um, and I think um, you know. So an example for me, I, I, and and again, I I learned more about my attributes writing the book than I did you know taking the assessment. Again, the assessment is a snapshot. Anybody who takes the assessment must also commit to doing some self reflection because because what you're going to do is you're going to get a get a score and you say okay, what does that mean for me? And it's going to require someone to think back to environments of stress, challenge, and uncertainty in their lives and say, okay, does that, it was my adaptability low? You know, is it, is it, it, when I ask myself honestly, do I like when things change around me without my control? Am I more of a, or am I more of like, yeah, I'm just gonna go with the flow, I'm good with it, right? Um, and if we ask ourselves that honestly, we can start saying, okay, this, this makes sense to me. Um, and and you know therefore my score is valid or no I, it doesn't really make sense I'm I'm actually I'm actually higher than I than I thought or lower than I thought so um, so someone has to do do that as well um, but for me one of the you know so I learned a lot while I was writing the book uh, one of the things I realized while I was writing the book is I have um, I'm lower on learnability you know if you look at the mental acuity attributes right um, learnability is simply the the ability to absorb process and 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 learn faster. Then um, you know, you know that I guess there's no normal, but faster, right? Because um, we all know people who you tell them, you show them how to do something one time, and they got it, right? There's a, they pick, they pick things up like that, right? Those people are high on learnability. I'm not that person. I, it takes me time. It takes me it takes me a repetitive process. And so so what I realized when I was kind of doing self examination is like actually that makes sense to me because even when I was in my own SEAL training and in the training that I was eventually running, um, I remember. Like we'd be learning stuff throughout the day, and at, at the end of the day, I'd like take extra time to like go over what I just learned. Sometimes I'd walk the different uh, scenarios that we had gone over that day, just to physically embody that stuff, because I knew I needed more. I needed more time. Needed more focus. There are other dudes. It's like tell them once they got it. So. So that was one I, I discovered I was a little bit lower on. Um, and then you know, it obviously you know. When it comes to uncertainty and challenge, I'm fairly fairly good on a lot of them, um, because uh, because just because of the nature of, of what I ended up doing for a living. <laughs> no, so. yeah. oh, well said, well said, and I appreciate the the candor. And certainly, your assessment challenged me to be beyond uh, honest with myself. And and we all have that temptation, you know. You kind of you take an assessment and you're like, ah, I think I'm in the middle, but you inflate it, and and but the true results, you're going to get out what you put in. If you BS the assessment, you're going to get BS uh, results versus if you are ultra candid and you go there with yourself, you're just trying to level up. That's it. It's a candid look in the mirror. Then you're going to have some learning reports that are given back to you. And that's why I saw a couple of things that I could immediately say, all right, if my dimmer is at a, at a four out of 10, like, and this is important to me, to my family, to my job, I got to do something about this, but it's free will to your point. Free Nobody will. can force yeah. me. It's not an extrinsic motivator. It is intrinsic motivation. The, the motivation comes from within. So let me ask you this, Rich, um, folks listening in and, and maybe your SEAL experience is great at this because yes, you were a SEAL. However, you were a part of a grander team and you wouldn't be where you are without the team. As I cracked open your book, one of the first stories that jumped off the page and I'll let you share the details with everybody, but I'll, I'll pivot into a couple of questions I would ask. You have a story about what you call the dream team. And it's a business example, which we do have a really large community of business professionals in our Playmaker audience. So love for you to high level share what that dream team story is all about and also tackle it from two lenses. A, how can we apply maybe some of the learnings of this story if you're in a leadership role versus what if I'm in the front lines? What if I'm a quote unquote player? I'm not the coach. So give us a dream team story and then maybe tackle how we can implement your key insights from this story as a leader and then as a frontline contributor. Yeah, the the dream team story was really, it's one of many of the same stories that I would get a lot. And in this case, it was a lady who I met and she uh, she was relating to me something that happened to her uh, several months prior, and she had been just promoted to the head of a of a pretty big department, and then given a pretty big project with a with a with an important client. However, she was told, she said, "Hey, she was told that you could, she could have the the pick of the litter when it came to people for her team to do the project." 
um, anybody she wanted from the company. And so she was thrilled and began to basically find the very best people she could, best graphics designer, best marketer, best salesperson, all that stuff, and, and begin to create a dream team. Okay, now some of these people, you know, she she knew, but most of them she didn't know. She was based. She was she was picking them based on um, their their reputation of of their competence in, in whatever particular domain. Um, and uh, and the project, I think I, I think she, it was supposed to be like four weeks or so. Um, and she was thrilled. I mean, she you know, the team looked phenomenal, and they began the project, and everything was going just great. You know, I mean, and so much so that she thought, hey, this is going to be awesome. We'll finish early and above expectations. Um, and then somewhere around week two, I think it was, uh, the client came back and had some issues. Okay. So, you know, so, you know, little things, but, but enough that it was going to affect aspects of the whole project. And so she brought the, the team in and she said, well, the, the, it's the dream team. So I'm just going to explain what's going on and, and we'll, we'll move forward. Well, that's not how it went. You know, the, the, it immediately it fell into chaos. People started blaming each other. They couldn't accept that they, their, 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 their products or their, the work they had done wasn't correct, and and it, it fell into just complete madness. And so the the project ended up getting extended. She had to she had to um, kick a people a few people off the team. She had to take a bunch of work, and she was wondering what happened, you know, with this with this ultimately what was a dream team. And I said when I when she asked me, I said, well, I you know what happened was you picked the team based on the wrong things. The problem with a lot of dream team scenarios is that they are picked based on skill and skill alone. And we, because again, skill is, is, is measurable and accessible and, and, um, and codifiable, right? You can see, you can see the numbers of a sales dude, you can, or, or gal, right? You can see how well someone graphically designed. So, so they're very easy to get, it's very easy to get seduced by skill and pick a dream team based on skill, but skill's not going to tell us how teams interact and operate, especially when things go south or don't go as planned, which is by the way, Always okay. Um, so, so th- th- you know, th- things never go as planned. One is, is the first thing, but also just we have to th- consider the 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 dynamic nature of human relationships. Okay, human relationships are inherently uncertain. They're dynamic. We don't know. I mean, because of emotions and perspectives and just the way we show up or things that happened that day with with someone who had a fight with their spouse or whatever, right? It's it's an inherently complex environment, and 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 complex environments are dynamic. They're unpredictable, and they're volatile sometimes, and they're ambiguous sometimes. Right? Um, skills don't necessarily get us through complex environments. Attributes do. All right. And so and so when you and whenever you have a bunch of human beings working together, you have to consider if you're going to consider how they get along in this dynamic complex environment that is human relationship, yeah. you have to consider attributes. Yeah. So let me ask you this. It makes perfect sense. And in your case, you've been a positional leader. I know you and I, we look at leadership in a very unique way from the world. The world thinks of it as rank, role, title, authority. You and I think of it as a trainable set of behaviors. We think of leadership as behavioral, but let's use the world definition. You and I have been positional leaders, if you want to call it that. And I think your example makes sense. If I have the pick of the litter, I make my dream team. Uh, This is more about complementary aspects versus just choosing like an NBA team would suck if they had five starters that all could and wanted to score 30 points a game. They, mm-hmm. they, it would implode, and we all right. know that. And so that's probably a good analogy here. But what if I'm in this environment, I'm listening in right now, I'm not in a formal uh, or positional leadership role, I'm just trying to find my tribe. You know, like yeah. I just want a team. I wanna be able to lock arms with some folks that I vibe with, I love the culture, et cetera. And using this example, like h- how does this apply to me as I look for a tribe? Well, yeah. So first, we have to understand there's the tribe. It could be in, in many settings. There could be a, a, a professional tribe. There could yeah, be a personal tribe. Yeah, professional in this be, example. Yeah. yeah. And this and this and the professional tribe example. Well, uh, I think the first thing is to understand purpose, which you and I are very mm. very familiar with having having mutual friends, <laughs> Simon Sinek. Yes. Um, you know, if you know, the purpose has to be understood and aligned with. Uh, so that's number one, because because if the objective is not. Um, and the purpose is not clear, then um, then it's difficult to then do step two, which is figure out what attributes are required for that objective. Okay, because the attributes required for a sales team are going to be different than the attributes required for a SEAL team, than the attributes required for a team of nurses or a team of teachers. So so that list is going to vary. 
Um, so as an individual, it's important to say, okay, if I, I, I need to, I need to, I need to understand what my purpose is. What, what, you know, where do I want to go? You know, you know, and what and what teams are doing those things. Um, it's really important to understand what attributes you're bringing to the table because because then you can say, okay, these are the attributes I'm bringing to the table, and this team uh, or this this endeavor. And this team requires this list, so obviously I can complement them immediately because of some of the attributes I'm bringing to the table. Um, and um, and then and then of course you have to you have to assess the team. You know, there's you know so many people talk about the hiring process as being a one way street where the employer is assessing the the prospective hiree, right? Well, it, it, it should also go it should go both ways, right? The the the, the hiree should be assessing the the employer as well just to see if this is if this if this organization is the right fit for that person. Um, now, this is why I support kind of these probationary periods, and I don't like the word probationary because there's a yeah, there's but a, in spirit, um, I, I get where you're spirit, going. Yeah, in spirit. Well, in other words, time spent with people over a course of whatever that time is, so that you can understand, you can see, you can experience these people in different contexts. Okay, you can experience them at work, you can experience them um, at play or at dinner or whatever, and you can experience something when things are going great. You can experience them when things are going south, right? Um, and that should be, uh, and, and so, so one of the things we're both very familiar with is values, and I talk about values in the book. Values start to speak to this a little bit, right? Because because if an organization has uh, explicit values. And and in the um, in the diligence that's required as you as you investigate that organization and spend time with them, if you see those values being consistently expressed, um, then you start to say, okay, these all align, right? If you don't see the values being consistently expressed, that's a, a red flag. Absolutely. <laughs> okay? um, and so I think so. So I think for the individual, they need to understand themselves, they understand the purpose of the team, and then understand as they're going, they should be also interviewing the team. You know, as the team mm -hmm. interviews them. Yeah, kind of that three hundred and sixty process. Yeah. So this is personal, Rich, but and and this may be our closure. But I, I just want to ask this because I've been able, I've had the fortune, and and I'm beyond grateful and honored that you and I, we've been able to lock arms in a professional environment, working for what's now the Chapman and Co Leadership Institute, and we've facilitated sessions for countless leaders in corporate throughout the states. And and I'm again just honored to be able to share that stage with you. I've heard you talk about this in terms of your why. So you just talked about purpose. You just talked about values. If you're open to sharing, I'd love to have our Playmaker audience listening into your personal why. And I think as important as the words behind it, how you've been able to apply it. Because where I find is purpose is great and it's your compass, it's your North Star. Your values certainly are more operational and they can be that lens for decisions and actions and behaviors 100%. But for you, What's the why and how have you been able to apply purpose to your life? Yeah, um, so my why, I haven't seen it, I haven't looked at it for a while, so I'm gonna, I'm going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna repeat it the best I can, but it's uh, to accelerate human potential uh, so that humanity may exponentially evolve. I think that's, that's it, um, that feels right. Um, and so, uh, so what does that mean to me? Well, you know, obviously when we deconstruct the why, it's like, okay, what can I affect? Accelerate human potential and what's my, what's my, hope of outcome, um, ex uh, you know, humanity exponentially evolves. So not much control over part two. What can I control about part one? Well, accelerating potential um, for me means that I am giving people access um, in terms of uh, knowledge, understanding, explanation to be able to understand their own engines, okay? Because I can't, because I can't, you can't force people into potential. You just can't. You can't force people to their edges. You can't, it doesn't work that way. I mean, I can't force someone to go do something. You know, free will prevents that. It has to be self-motivated, self-directed. And, and in the most powerful um, um, growth and evolutionary processes come from when someone uh, voluntarily steps steps outside their comfort zone into their edges and, and, re and, and explores their own potential on their own. Um, so what I realized as I kind of absorbed that was I needed to begin to um, uh, put forth lessons, experience, knowledge that I could to help people figure that out and inspire them to do just that. Um, and so, so this, so this book is part is is I guess part one of that, right? Maybe, well, maybe part one was the work we did, you know, together with Chapman and Co. Um, where we got in front of people and we could kind of help uh, spread their tremendously valuable and, and, and wonderful message, right? Um, but that part two, I guess, is this book. And, and, and for me, I'm going to continue down this road of exploring human behavior, um, exploring 
those, those things that ask the question, why is it and how is it that we do the things we do um, so that people can and try to explain it and articulate in a way so that people can start to figure out themselves um, in the best way possible. And then ultimately, also by figuring out themselves, uh, know what they need to do to start hacking into like super performance, right? And, and, and there's so many good tips out there and, and um, tools, tips, uh, techniques on how, uh, on, on things to do to, to better your performance, okay? Um, the, the, but, but the problem is if you don't understand what engine you have in the first place, you may throw, on a, you may throw something on that's gonna blow the engine, right? So if you're a Jeep running on the Jeep track, the nitrous oxide pack might not be the best thing <laughs> that you wanna throw on your engine. You know, Unless you're um, in Fast you're, and Furious, yes. That's right, if you're, if you're, not, if you're a, a Ferrari, you know, uh, the big tires you know, might not be what you wanna throw on. So you have to understand that first. Um, and once you do, you start to say, okay, that tool, that tip, boy, that's gonna work for me because that fits who I am. Whereas, no, no, that tool, yeah, great example, very simple one is, you know, there's a lot of a lot of successful people say, you know, get up early in the morning, okay? You know, start early, you know, like 4.30 or whatever. Um, I am not someone who enjoys getting up too early in the morning. I like getting up early, you know, but, uh, you know, my ideal, my ideal um, wake up time is probably, if I could pick it, would be around seven, you know, six or six thirty or seven, okay? Which is not, it's not late, but it's not early, you know? Um, you know, so so even when I was writing the book, I had to deliberately ask myself, okay, what's going to work for me as I as I kind of designed and fell into a writing routine, um, and and by understanding that, I could start mapping on tips and techniques for myself that allowed me to kind of sit down and 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 maximize the the, the time frame. Uh, that I that I that I wanted and could do things. So that's that's kind of an example of a tip that's out there. No, it's great, man, and I love this conclusion and you're essentially saying for everybody listening in understand your engine mm -hmm. understand your engine understand how you're wired perhaps there's tools via attributes via an assessment that can help but ultimately it's that self-awareness and that look in the mirror to say just who am i what gets me out of bed what is my deeper purpose how can I then apply it? And, and there's a ton of literature out there, like you said, in terms of the tools and tactics, et cetera. So uh, to get us out of here, Rich, we love everything you're bringing to the table. And thank you, dude, for being on Playmakers. Where can we find you? Hit us with where to find the book, where to find you on social. Love for our Playmaker community to give you a follow and pick up the book. Yeah, awesome. Well, the, the books, wherever books are sold. So, so whenever you, wherever you go, you should find at Amazon, even your bookstores. Um, you can go to theattributes.com. Uh, you can find the book there as well. You can also find the assessment tool, and that's for free. You can take that for free. I just threw on the website some workbooks. Uh, the, 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 one of the big questions I was always getting is, hey, how can I develop each attribute? And so I said, okay, let me develop workbooks. So I have a grit workbook, uh, drive, a mental acuity workbook, and a, drive attribute, and a drive workbook where you can go and you can grab a workbook, and you can uh, it goes through each attribute and says, okay, here are some tips on how to develop this specific attribute. Um, and then I have some blog posts up there and things like that. Also on Instagram, um, you know, rich uh, underscore Davini, uh, at rich underscore Davini, and then LinkedIn as well are the other big platforms. So That's so awesome, man. And we'll be driving a lot of traffic over to the site and for the assessments. I've personally taken them. I want to crack open those workbooks. And Rich, I, I know we've been LinkedIn guys for a while. Could you ever imagine a world where Rich Davini and Paul Epstein are on Instagram? I, I think this is... Uh, Man, man. Yes. That's, that's adaptability, my friend. That that's is adaptability. adaptability and reinvention yeah. at its finest. Well, thank you, brother. Uh, loved having you on the show. Continued success. And we'll be watching you, just cheering you on, man, as you spread the word of the attributes. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I don't know about you, but I am feeling charged up after that conversation with Rich. And as playmakers, this is now our time to make a play and take action. What I love about where Rich brought us is that action is best when it follows deep reflection and a look within ourselves. So that as Rich says, we can understand our engines. The beauty is Rich has provided us all with a turnkey way of transforming this reflection and awareness into tangible progress and momentum. And he's opened up his entire world of attributes for all of us to dive in. As I mentioned personally during the interview, I have taken all of the online attribute assessments, 
even found some surprising truths. And now I'm fully immersing myself into the workbooks so that I can apply those learnings and those insights, not only to my business, but across all areas of my life. So if you, as a playmaker, are looking to level up in any of the major five core areas of these attributes, from grit, to mental acuity, to drive, to team ability, and last but not least, leadership, then look no further and head over to Rich's website, theattributes.com. On the site, you can also learn more about the book itself, which highlights the 25 hidden drivers of optimal performance. Join me in this mission to better know ourselves and build ourselves so that together we can become the best version of ourselves. And a major thanks to Rich for getting us there. It's time to make a play. Loved what you just heard? Share it with another playmaker. And for all of today's show notes, head over to playmakerspod.com where you can not only enjoy additional resources from today's show, but all previous episodes as well. And if you haven't already, subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever it is that you get your favorite podcasts. If you gained significant value from today's episode and genuinely feel that you have leveled up, give us a five-star rating. And between now and the next Playmakers episode, let's stay connected. Hit me up on LinkedIn, at Paul Epstein, or Instagram, at Paul Epstein Speaks. Playmakers is produced by Motown Podcast Studios in collaboration with Purpose Labs. Wishing you a high-impact week of action and purpose. See you next time on Playmakers. Playmakers.